You know, you spend all week working on a message, and then you have Rick nail it in two minutes <laughs> and, uh, and, and hit your entry you know, points and your exit points almost word for word. So I'm wondering if he, you know, one of two things, he's either hacked into my iPad or the Lord's talking to him. And since I know Rick isn't very technically savvy, I'm counting on the, the second one. So as he had mentioned, as I'm starting here, um, my name's Greg Gertis, and uh, my, my family and I have been here for three years in Beijing, and, um, and now uh, in two weeks, two weeks from now we're leaving, heading back to the U.S. Uh, for my next assignment. So this is, uh, as he said, my last uh, message here, and as he said already, um, I've kind of become the holiday speaker, not by choice, it's just has worked out that way. Maybe I enjoy holidays more than other people, could be. And I finally get, you know, I've, I've done the Christmas and Thanksgiving and uh, Good Friday, Easter. I've had to do Mother's Day twice, which is by far the hardest to do. <laughs> so it's awesome that I finally get to do Father's Day. And in the spirit of the holiday, you know, can we once again just thank our fathers who, who've taken care of us all this time. So now for my experience, and as I was looking things up here, I can't confidently say there's any specific worldwide Father's Day traditions out there. You know, Father's Day really doesn't get the same, you know, hoopla that Mother's Day. There's no, you know, you don't have all the, the Mother's Day cards and the, and the Mother's Day flowers and the Mother's Day Sunday brunch and all this other stuff. Father's, it, it's kind of pretty basic, right? So, you know, uh, my folks live actually in Arizona, so my Father's Day tradition will be uh, much like I'm sure you guys. Hey, Dad, happy Father's Day. Uh, Okay, is mom there? Um, so, uh, it's a great relationship. <laughs> okay, but knowing my dad, you know, if he had things his way, you know, besides me being back there with him, um, I think how he'd want to celebrate Father's Day is to take his sons and his grandsons and granddaughters and just go out for a day of fishing. He, um, he grew up on a farm, and so, you know, he, day, every day was a labor day, you know, was working. And, and so to get a day off to go fishing was just, you know, a lot of fun. And he wanted to share that enjoyment with my brother and I. So even at a young age, he taught us how to fish from, you know, tying knots correctly to the hooks on correctly, to how to feed on the worms and the minnows, to cast without hooking somebody else or the tree that's above you. Um, to how to hold that fish so you don't get poked, and then fillet the fish so that you, know, you get the most meat without bones. Because in China, I don't understand, but they leave the bones in till while you're eating it, and you gotta pick it out of your mouth. Um, also, how to make a really tasty beer batter to fry those fish in. So it, he taught us the whole process, and, and it was, I have a lot of great memories of fishing with my dad and my brother, who, by the way, is also a, a great father of his four, four daughters. And, um, and what I can't say is that we, or necessarily me, have always been successful fishermen. And in fact, um, there's been a lot, and I mean a lot, of fishing failures. Um, there was the time we went up to Wisconsin with my buddy's family, and I think we were boat to boat using the same bait, the same fishing techniques, fishing at the same depth. They, were, they could not keep you know, the fish off, the, uh, the fish were just coming in. All, everybody was pulling them in. And that weekend, we caught four fish. We switched boat places. 
we still didn't catch anything. There was a time that I went fishing with my brother and a couple buddies, and he hooked himself in the hand. And uh, we ended up having to go to the doctor and have it pushed through because of the barb, it then pulled out. We still had a good time fishing, though. There was the time that me and a um, college buddy of mine during exams decided to go catfish fishing, and for entertainment, we decided to see how far we could throw the catfish back into the water. Well, this young man came up with the bright idea, let's see how far I can kick one of these catfish into the water, and drove a catfish spine through my foot that had to be surgically removed. This was one week before I was supposed to start Marine Corps boot camp. Needless to say, the Marines were not all that happy with me at that moment. And you're probably saying, do we really want a guy like this carrying a weapon? <laughs> so, um, so, but we didn't fail all the time. And in fact, a couple years ago, um, we were down in Mexico, and I had one of the best fishing trips we've ever had. We were down there for a family, family uh, reunion, Everybody came down, and the men decided, hey, let's take all the grandkids out, and we're going to go fishing. So the, the boys had all caught, had caught like these beautiful dolphin, dolphin, and I'm not talking the bottlenose dolphin. It was the, the my, my fish, right? There's an example of one. And so then we decide, hey, it's Grandpa's turn. And Grandpa gets in the chair, and bam, that line goes down, and he's fighting and struggling, and we see that fish jump, and he reels in this beautiful marlin. This is the biggest fish in his entire life that he's ever caught, and his, all his sons, his son-in-law, his grandsons are all there to witness it, and it was just an amazing day. And if you want to know, no, I didn't catch anything that day, but they all did. So, so today we're going to actually talk about a fisherman and not always a good fisherman. In fact, uh, he really had a few bad fishing days. And it wasn't just that. He tended to screw things up. He kind of failed in a bunch of things in life and opened his mouth at the wrong time. And, and what's worse is all these failures have been put in the most read book that's been read around for the last 2,000 years. So can you imagine this? All the I can't believe I just did that moment are now written in a book for the last 2,000 years that everybody gets to read. How, you guys are real excited about that, right? To have that happen. And we're going to cover a few of his interactions that he actually had with, that he had with Jesus and his failures, and hopefully, I hope that we can gain something from it. Um, but let's go to the, word, uh, the Lord in prayer first. Father in heaven, just thank you for this day and how you are our Father and how because of that, we should treat every day as Father's Day. Thank you that we can always call out to you like a young child to a father. And Lord, I ask uh, for your message to come through uh, to all of us today. On the day of Pentecost, they spoke of the gift of tongues, but they also talked that everybody heard you in their own language. And so, Lord, I pray today for the gift of hearing, that everyone hears this message who hears this message, hears something, even one part that touches their hearts and brings them closer in relationship with you. May there be a gift of hearing on us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So now, as I was saying, our focus today is on a man who had a close and ongoing relationship with Jesus, a man whose failures are listed in the Bible for everyone to read, and if you haven't figured it out, it's Peter. And according, actually, to pastor and author, uh, Dr. Jam, Jack Graham, there are more conversations between Jesus and this fisherman than any two other people in Scripture. 
We don't have to cover, time to cover all of them, but I've selected four that we're going to go over today. And, and I think they, they, have a, they give a good overview of this man. And I've broken them down into four points. Not me, call on me, you can count on me, and why me? All right? So not me, call on me, count on me, and why me? And we're going to, as you can see, there's a lot of Bible verses here, so we're going to be moving, moving uh, quite quickly. So, part one, not me, Luke 5. And one day, as Jesus was standing at the lake of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's, um, water's edge two boats left by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for the catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help. And when they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So Peter is a small businessman who makes his living through hard physical labor, not like many of us to hear, all right? Um, and he employs his friends and as the text reads, he takes his boat out at night when the fishing is, is usually at its best in order to make a living, which probably was pretty difficult considering we're in Roman occupation and the taxation was quite heavy at this time. And if you ever spend any time fishing, you know there are a lot of variables when it comes with that effect fishing. There's the weather, the time of day, the temperature of the water, you know, even the moon has effects on, on how the fish are moving. And they can be quite annoying creatures, as I've failed to catch many fish myself. And, and so he has to go out at night, which probably is the best time to catch a fish. But not only that, we don't have refrigeration or ice machines at this time. So you need to catch your fish, and then the first thing in the morning, you're taking them to the market so you can make money. And Peter and his crew had just fished all night. They've cleaned and repaired their nets, and Jesus asked them, hey, can you just take me out into the water? And why is that? It's because the crowds are pushing up against Jesus. And one of the things, if you've ever been on water, voice carries over water. And so by him just pushing out, he can talk to a large crowd. And so think about this, businessmen. You've had phone calls all night, right? I know you guys have those conference calls. You're going all night, and nothing's getting accomplished, and it feels like you're banging your head against the wall, and it just keeps going. And now, after all, going all night and it's been unsuccessful, are you going to sit and listen to a sermon? But Peter does. So Peter, one thing we know about Peter is that he's, he's a guy who works with his hand. He's, he's a rough and tumble kind of guy. He's probably given as many licks as he's taken. But he's also a godly man. So there's, he goes to the synagogue. He's somebody who, who um, he notices that Jesus has something important to say. And I want to have a front seat and be able to watch this. And listen to this. And then Jesus says, well, let's push out further and let's, let's, let's try dropping our nets a little bit. And, and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, listen, big guy. You just, you know what? You, you touched me with your message. That was really good. 
But let me tell you, I'm tired. We've already been fishing all night. And if you, don't, if you don't forget, I'm the expert fisherman here, right? But, and I, I'll tell you right now, it's already morning. The fish aren't, the fish aren't swimming around here. We're not going to catch anything. But because you say so, I'll just, to prove you wrong, I'm going to go over there and I'll drop my nets in. So a few years ago, in the Sea of Galilee, there was a drought. And during this drought, the water levels dropped, and they were able to find one of these boats that were a couple thousand years old, these ancient boats. And we already know from the Bible that you can fit a dozen disciples in one of these. But this is a good-sized boat, probably about the length. It's about the length of this. It's a good-sized boat. They have two boats that are now sinking because of the fish load that they've caught. Peter should be walking up to Jesus going... Hey, let me tell you something. If you want to preach tomorrow, come out in my boat. We're all set. We're going to start Peter and Jesus' Sea of Galilee fishing enterprise. And we're, we're going to make a killing on this. Instead, he drops to Jesus' knees and says, get away from me. You see, and he says, I'm a sinful man. And you see, he got it half right. He really, he got it half right. He acknowledges Jesus' display of divine glory and his majesty. And in this humble state, he was convicted of his sins. He goes, I'm a sinful man. And all of us are. Even the best men, we must be prepared on occasion to own up to ourselves, to own up to our sins, to own up to the sinfulness and that we need Jesus Christ in our life who came into the world to save us from our sins. Where he failed, though, is besides the fishing that evening, is he, instead of telling Jesus to go away should have been like Jacob in the wrestling match and then grabbed onto him and said, no, I need you. And Jesus responds and says, hey, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. And over two years would pass by before this would make any sense. I can only imagine that Peter and the disciples were like, I'm going to be fishers of men. Okay, are they going to start swimming and I'm going to hook them up with nets? So, but I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to it at the end. All right, the second one, call me. So about a year, a year has passed. Peter has seen Jesus do amazing miracles from calming the storm. They're in a storm, and he calls us, tells the storm to stop. He, raises, um, he brings Jairus' daughter back to life. He's heard the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's listened to countless parables. He even has acknowledged to, to Jesus to his face and says, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And he and the other disciples, just today, were involved in the feeding of the 5,000. And, and we read from uh, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out of the water, out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began sinking, and cried, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So as I said, the disciples were just involved in a major miracle. 
They were feeding of the 5,000. Jesus tells them to get in a boat, go to the other side, and he'll meet them there. You know, so out of obedience, there's no storm at this time, but they head out and they run into a storm. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and the distance they're covering might be five or six miles. On a good day, I could probably swim that in about four hours. The top triathletes of the world, maybe two, right? We're not talking a massive distance. These guys battle against the wind and the waves all night. And it's, in, in the, it's already in the early morning, just before early morning, before Jesus arrives. And when they, they, they talk about, they buffeted against it. And the word in Greek is bazanizo. Again, my Greek is not very good. Which means to pass through torture, torment, and pain, or straining against. And so they're straining against all night to get to the other side. This is the second time we read in the Bible where the, the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee and one of these massive storms comes in. The first time, Jesus is sleeping in the boat and doesn't seem to care. And the second time, he's sitting back where, you know, where everybody else is at and said, hey, you just go through the storm and I'll, wait for you. I'll meet you on the other end. And what makes matters worse is even though they're fighting all this, it's when they see this, now there's a ghost coming across the water, and this is when the real panic, now they have fear. They're about to drown, but the fear really starts when they see a ghost coming across the water. And Jesus' response is amazing. His first thing is, take courage. He goes, I know you're afraid. Take courage, you're going to get through this. Second, he says, it is I. He doesn't say, it's Jesus. He says, it's I. And that's enough, because the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And the question to you is, do you, do you interact with the Lord enough that you know his voice when he's talking to you, like they did? It's I. And finally, he says, don't be afraid. I realize a storm is around you, but I'm here, so it's okay. Don't be afraid. So dads and moms, have you guys ever had this experience? I know I had it as a kid, and I know I've also had it as an adult. A storm's going on outside. Lightning is cracking in your neighborhood. The thunder is pounding. You can, it even feels like the, the, the walls are shaking, the thunder is so, so close. And you hear your child crying. And you go up there and, and to comfort them. And you say, hey, it's going to be okay. This is, this is fine. It's going to be all right. And that child is able to relax. Did the storm stop? The storm didn't stop. The storm's still going on. But that child is, all right, dad's here, mom's here. It's going to be okay. So in the middle of this, they've got a storm. The boat's rocking. There's wind coming. And Peter says, Lord, call me out. Can you imagine this? He says, call me out of the boat. To, while this is going all on, call me out of the boat to come to you. If it's you, Lord, call me out. And what Peter realizes is that he just being in the middle of a storm next to Jesus is better than being in that boat. And he doesn't know how he's going to get there. He doesn't say, Lord, call me out to walk on the water. He says, just call me and I'll come to you. So he gets out of the boat and he's walking. And I don't know how Jesus did this. I don't know if he coagulated the water so that, you know, it, it, it held him up. Or I don't know if he suspended the law of gravity just underneath Peter's feet. But we do know Peter started to walk. Now, Peter has the gift of courage, but he also re- realizes, wait a minute, there's a storm going on around me. And I'm standing on water. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks at the storm. 
But it's not over, because actually the sinking in this is really important, because it is here that Peter learns something so important, a lesson that I'm going to share with you right now, and this is probably the greatest prayer you will ever hear. So you ready for this? Are you ready to hear probably the greatest tool, tool you could put in your toolbox? Lord, save me. That's it. Three little words. And what does Jesus do? Immediately, he pulls on and reaches and pulls him out. It, that's all it took. It wasn't this huge, long-winded, oh, Lord, and this is that. Lord, save me. That was all he asked for. And how many of you guys right now are in storms, right? And the wind is howling, and the waves are crashing. And Jesus has called you out of the boat, right? And you obeyed. And now the storm seems like it's getting worse, and you're sinking. And picture that storm right now in your mind. And I know you guys here in Beijing are dealing with it. You're separated from family. you got difficult jobs. You have a lot of challenges and traffic and everything, right? Every day we have these challenges. And guess what? That sinking is important because it's our opportunity to say, Lord, save me. And that's it. Now, unfortunately, for Christ to save us, we do need to go. We do need to acknowledge our situation. And I hate it just as much as you guys do. I hate admitting that I'm sinking. I'd rather do it on my own strength. But he's there always to, to pull us right back out. And one last thing that has always bothered me about this particular passage, but what kind of was revealed to me in my preparation, so the Lord was working on me. See, Peter got out of the boat, and when he, he went out to Jesus in the storm, while everybody else stayed in the boat, and he walks on water, and yet, what is Jesus' response to him? Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> I'm like, didn't you see? I got out of the boat. Everybody else is still in the boat. I got out, and you're calling me ye of little faith? And what I, what I learned here is that, yeah, you did, Peter. But this is nothing compared to what I'm going to call you out to do. And if you are going to lead my ministry, and if you're going to lead my church while I'm gone, I need you to keep your eyes on me no matter how bad the storm is. Because this storm around you is nothing compared to what I want you to be able to go through. So part three, count on me. So then Jesus told them, Matthew 26, Jesus told them that this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all these guys fall away on account of you, I never will. <clears throat> Truly I tell you, Jesus said, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then also I want to read from Luke 22, 31, 34, which is Luke's account. Simon, Simon, Satan has, Satan has asked to sift, you, sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that you're... Your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Oh, Peter. You know, another year has passed. Jesus and the disciples have made, now made their way from Galilee in that area down, uh, down to Jerusalem. 
and the triumphal entry has occurred. His ministry is coming to a crescendo. Um, he's flipped tables in the temple. He's talking in the temple. You know, they're now having their Passover meal together. And Jesus drops this bomb on them. This is the third time to tell them, guess what? I'm going to die. And Peter can't take it anymore. He just can't. You know, he's, he's like, I can't believe this guy does this every time. And I believe what Peter he meant what he said. I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. You know, he, he, he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And he knows he'll do anything for him. <clears throat> and how well do I know that? Well, in a few hours, the temple priests and a Roman detachment show up to take Jesus away, right? Well, technically, a Roman detachment is 600 soldiers. Now, I don't know if 600 soldiers showed up. But I do know this, if you have somebody who's caught, who you believe, you've been told, is causing an uprising, and you're going to go grab him in the middle of the night, you're going to take some of your best soldiers, and you're going to go there. So you've got some really strong, solid Roman soldiers who are showing up with the temple priests, and what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword and cuts off one of their ears, and he's ready to go to town. And he's ready to die in the melee, and it's only Jesus saying, stop, no more of this. This is not how it's going to go. So we can agree that Peter is committed, even if all fall away, not this guy. And I'm, you know, I'm in it to the bitter end. And Jesus tells him, not only will he fall away, but Peter, yes, you, Peter, because you consider yourself better than anybody else right now, you'll be the worst offender. You're not even going to make it through the night. You won't even make it through the night, and you're going to deny me three times. How about you, how many of you guys have been on a diet? You won't even make it through the day without breaking your diet. You won't make it through this night without denying me three times. Peter's pendulum has now swung to the other side. Before he was saying, go away from me, Lord. Now and saying, I'm a sinner. All the way to, hey, you can count on me. I'm going to be the guy who's going to stand next to you. And it's going to be all on my strength here. And how many times have you guys allowed that to happen in your own lives? So your overconfidence and your strength of your ability, you know, starts taking over. And folks, this is actually one of the reasons why we need Christian brothers and sisters. It's not as much as when we're down, it's when we're up and relying on our own strength for them to say, whoa, 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 careful. Don't rely on your own strength. The great takeaway, though, from this is found when the, when, in Luke's side, in Luke, the way the Luke tells it. And Jesus says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. See, Satan does not have the power to touch any of you. He doesn't have that power. He must request it. Just like in the book of Job, where he had to ask to touch Job, he can't act out of his own power. Second, Jesus is praying for you. Oh my, do you you guys realize what that means? That right now Jesus is praying for you? the hard times that you're dealing with, that he cares so much that he's praying for you right now with whatever storm you're in or whatever temptation or trial you're about to go through, that is something to hold on to. And finally, Jesus is not going to allow you to go through any temptation or trial that one, as Rick said, he did not in godly form but in man's form, that he hasn't inspected already. And second, he knows that you're going to be able to handle it. Look when he says, when 
you have turned back, not if you turn back, when, because you're going to make it through this, I'm praying for you, and by the way, I've got a job for you on the other side, there's a purpose for this. So now, part four, why me? John 21, 15 through 17 and uh, 19. So when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know, Peter's, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he said to him, follow me. Okay, about a week has passed since the resurrection of Christ. He's already appeared to the disciples and others many times. This is probably the third time um, Peter has seen Jesus since he denied him. And he has yet to bring up Peter's denial. It has to be a difficult time for the disciples, especially Peter, who is considered the leader among them. Their Lord is crucified, dead, and buried. He's risen, but he told them to go to Galilee and wait for him there. They don't know what to do. So what does Peter say? Hey, let's go fishing, guys. How humbling that must have been. Here you have a man who's a fisherman, and then for the last couple years, he's been the right-hand man next to Jesus as he's performing all these miracles and all these things, their crowds and all this. And now, guess what? Go back, be a fisherman. And remember our first passage with Jesus and Peter. Well, this one kind of starts actually the same way. They go out fishing through the night. Once again, no luck, nothing's there. There's a man who's out on the shore, and they see him, and he calls out, and it's Jesus. They don't realize who it is. And they go, hey, friends, have you any fish? Now, did Jesus really need to ask that question? Hey, have you caught anything? No, he already knows it. But part of his methodology is to get you to admit your situation. Yeah, you're right. I haven't caught anything. Why don't you throw it over on the right side of the boat? And sure enough, just like the last time, he gets this massive mother load of fish comes that they catch. And John calls off, it's, the, it's our Lord. And you gotta love what Peter's reaction to this. He grabs his outer garment, because a lot of times you take that off when you're working. He grabs it, and he just jumps into the water. And he's head, sink or swim, I'm going to Jesus. It's that pure commitment. There's no thinking about it. I'm gonna go to where Jesus is at. Jesus is already there. He started a fire gives them some warmth, and cooks them some food. He first takes care of their physical needs. And then he says, okay, Pete, let's talk. And he asked Peter three times whether he loves him. And many say that this is in reference to the three times that Peter denied him. He gives him three times to say he loves him. But if, if you actually look in the Greek, you know, you have to look at the original Greek. In the original Greek, you see that the word um, love, they have four different words for the word love. The first is agape, which is unconditional love, godly love. It's putting your, your beloved first before your self-interest. The second is phileo. It's our brotherly friendship love. It's where you know, we get the term Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's deep love. That's a, you have a long-term, long-life friendship with somebody that you have so, uh, even a parent for a child that's for years and years. 
Eros, romantic love, and it's not just sexual love like we might think, but it's excitement and joy as well. And it's a beautiful in itself, but it's usually a not, it's usually that butterfly love, right? It's not enough to sustain for long periods of time. And storge, which is the love of community and family, and it's often a dutiful love. So all these, of all these, agape is the only one that is free from the error of humanity. It's the only one that doesn't, it isn't being held down by humanity. So in this conversation between Jesus and Peter, it actually goes, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me so unconditionally? And Peter replies, you know that I phileo you. You're, I love you, uh, phileo you. And Jesus asks, well, Peter, do you, do you agape me? And Peter's, Peter's hurt. No, you know that I phileo you. I love you as much as I can as a brother. And so then Jesus asks a third time, do you phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. So what do we see happening? Peter's not trying to justify anything he has done. He's in complete humility here. He's like, Lord, you know my heart? You know my mistakes. You know that I can't love you unconditionally. Like Rick had mentioned, without your help, I can't do it. I thought I could, I failed. He's saying, he took his, you know, I took my eyes off you when we walked on water. I denied you, Lord. I said I wouldn't do it, but I did. You know the best that I can do is love you, is have a deep loving relationship with you. You actually have to do the rest. You have to, you have to do the rest, Lord. And Jesus meets Peter there. He says, just like he meets all of us exactly where we're at, and he does the work for us at that point. Jesus also asked Peter to do something. He says, if you love me, feed my sheep. I'm calling you out, Peter, to lead my people, to teach them what you've learned and seed and spread the gospel. You were once a fisher of fish, and now I want you to be a fisher of men. You know, this is amazing. You know, we often hear that, hey, I forgive you, but I won't forget. But Jesus says, not only do I forgive you, but I want you to work for me. I want you to go out and do my work for me. That's real forgiveness. And guess what? A few weeks later at Pentecost, Peter gives a message and 3,000 people come, are saved and come to Christ. And I'm sure he's sitting there laughing. And he goes, oh, this is what it means to be fishers of men. I got it. I figured it out. So I don't know about you, but I, I really like the fact that Peter's failures and his conversations with Jesus are in the Bible, since I can relate to Peter. Especially in my role as a father, there are many times, and my kids will attest to this, that I fail. I'm grateful that, they, um, that all my failures are not listed in a book that everybody's reading right now. But isn't it good to know that even though we fail, even though we push Jesus away, even though we take our eyes off of him and even deny him, that he's still there to meet us on the shore in our humility and call on us to say, hey, it's all right. I got work for you to do. So my question is, so what about you guys? 
What is God calling you to do right now? What is the Lord calling you to do? Well, he hasn't called me to be a fisherman, I can tell you that. He isn't asking me to go out baptizing people and preaching the gospel. Uh, you know, well, maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. I don't know. But how about this? And since it's Father Day, Father's Day, I'm going to call out you men. Is he calling you to follow him and in following him become a leader? A leader in your family? A leader at your office place? A leader in the community? A leader among your friends? And how do you expect to lead? For those of you guys who've been out there in leadership roles, how do you expect to lead? In the middle of the storms that you're currently in, or the ones that you can see that are out in the future, or even living on with your past failures, the mistakes that you've, been made, you've made before, if you don't have your eyes on Jesus. And being able to call out and say, Lord, save me. So the Lord has plans, listen up fathers, the Lord has plans for all of you. And so what are you going to do about it? Will you follow? Will you obey? Will you get out of the boat? Will you love him in his strength, not your own? And will you take care of the sheep that he's put underneath your care? Lord, thank you for this, your message through the life of our good friend and brother in Christ, Peter. Thank you for calling us out to follow you for calling us out of the boat, even in the middle of a storm, for praying for us during our trials, for building us up after we fail. May we keep our eyes on you, and Lord, thank you. Thank you that we always can call out to you and say, Lord, save me. Amen.